Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, Ville Church. It's good to be with you this morning, and I'm here because Pastor Jay asked me to fill in for him this week. Early this week, he was uh, diagnosed with pneumonia, so we keep him in our prayers. Uh, when he first started feeling the symptoms, he was concerned that it might be COVID, but uh, no, it's pneumonia, <clears throat> but he is resting. I spoke with him earlier today, and uh, he's, he's doing much better. So uh, yeah, just keep, us, keep him in your prayers, and, uh, and uh, yeah, just pray that uh, he'll be back to full strength very soon. But yeah, he's, he's thankful for, for your prayers. We're continuing in our series the Rooted Series, which we started some months ago. And our theme for the Rooted Series comes from Colossians 2, verse 6, and I'll read it for us. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I began thinking about rooted and what it means to be rooted. and uh, I started asking myself, how do I know if I'm being rooted in Christ or if I'm being rooted in something else? Are there some indicators or signs that I or we uh, should be able to see that says, yes, we're being rooted in Christ? Uh, are there things that I can, can point to and say, yeah, that shows that I am, I'm, I'm becoming more rooted in Christ. I think it's a process. It won't just happen one time, but it's a process in our life to continue to be rooted in Christ. And I think there are. I think there are some signs and indicators. And I'd like to look <clears throat> at the life of Joseph in Genesis <clears throat> to see what it meant in his life to be rooted in Christ. And uh, specifically, I'd like to look at three episodes in Joseph's life to see how he was rooted in his relationship with God. And the story of Joseph takes place in Genesis chapters 37, and then it skips 38 and goes 39 through 50. It's an incredible story of God's faithfulness to his promises to his people and how he used the young man Joseph to fulfill his promises. I encourage you to read it uh, several times to get the full effect. I enjoy reading it. I've read it many, many times. I enjoy continuing to read it. It's just a, a powerful story. And the first episode I'd like to look at occurs in chapters, chapter 39, verses 6 through 10. If you have your Bible and want to follow along. But before I jump and, and read in that, <clears throat> read those verses, I'd like to give a little backstory. Joseph is first mentioned in chapter 37 as a young man of 17. He was the 11th son of Jacob. He was the grandson of Isaac, the great-grandson of Abraham. The Bible tells us he was his father's favorite son because his father had multiple wives, or had two wives and multiple and, you know, some concubines by whom he had children. And Joseph's mother was uh, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. So Joseph was his favorite son, firstborn of Rachel, his favorite son. And, and he would give him special gifts that he didn't give to his other sons. And one was a a coat of many colors, a multicolored coat. And so that set Joseph apart from his brothers. And many times he would listen to Joseph. If Joseph brought a report, unfavorable report about his brothers, he would listen to Joseph. And this caused problems, obviously, with his older brothers. And the Bible even says they hated him. And and, and then this even increased when Joseph would have dreams and tell his brothers of his dreams and where in his dreams they would be bowing down before, before him as their leader at some time in their life. And, this just caused them to hate them, hate him even more. And they, they got to a point they just wanted to get rid of him, wanted to kill him if they needed to. 
because he was so despised by them. And one day they got their chance. He was with them apart from his father, and they got their chance to deal with him. But instead of killing him, they decided that they would sell him as a slave to some, a group of travelers passing by who were headed to Egypt. They wouldn't have to have his blood on their hands as being killed him, so they can pass him along to, to someone else. And so to report to their father what they saw, uh, they covered his uh, special coat that he was wearing, his father gave him, in goat's blood. And they told their father that he had been attacked by a wild animal. They found it. That's why they assumed he had been attacked by a wild animal, and he was killed. And so Jacob mourned for a long time for his favorite son. But we pick up the story in chapter 39 where Joseph uh, is now a slave in the house of a man named Potiphar, who was a military officer for the king of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph. And he quickly, Joseph quickly gained favor with his master. And his master left everything in his household uh, in, in Joseph's charge. And so Joseph was in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And because of Joseph, the Bible even says that God blessed Potiphar's house as well. So we pick up the story in Genesis 39, verses 6 through 10. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything uh, that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. He says, then Joseph said, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. You know, in this story, this, this, this part of the story, Joseph, we, we found in uh, chapter 37, he was 17. By this time, he may be in his early 20s as a slave in Potiphar's house in a foreign country. Uh, and he was a young man. And like most young men, he wanted to be seen as handsome. And he says he was handsome in form and appearance. And he, he doesn't have to do anything like go to the gym or to, to, to make himself look good. or He just was that way. God made him a handsome in form and appearance uh, like many young men would want to be. Uh, but that got him into trouble with his, uh, his, his master's wife. So he attracted unwanted attention from her. She wanted him. She wanted him to, to lie with her, but he refused her. And I just think of uh, what was happening at the time. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but I can you know, kind of look into the story a bit maybe and take some liberty here. But just thinking of the other servants, they saw what was happening. They saw his master, you know, reached out to Joseph, hitting on Joseph, trying to get Joseph to, to be with her and to, to lie with her. Uh, and so they were saying, they were, I can just imagine them talking to Joseph. Joseph, what's up, man? He said, well, you know, the master's wife's hitting on me. Okay, he said, what's the problem? And he says, I can't do that. I can't be with her. I can't do what she wants me to do. And they'd say, why? He'd say, well, that, that's, that's not right. And say, who says it's not right? And he'd say, my God, the God I serve. And we don't know how Joseph knew about God other than we know that he was told the stories of God by his father Jacob uh, and, and told what God was like. And, and he learned, maybe there were some writings he read, but he was deeply committed to to God at this time in his life and so but the others would say what what God are you talking about they'd say well the God of my fathers uh, and he'd, they'd say well, you mean the God that allowed you to be sold as a slave and uh, let allowed you to be taken away from your family that God you're talking about and uh, they'd say well we have lots of gods in Egypt why don't you serve one of them and they don't care they don't, what you're talking about is being you know a sin against God that wouldn't be a sin against them so just forget about your God He's gone. You probably never even see people that know him anymore. So just serve the gods of Egypt. But Joseph said, no, no, I serve 
my God. I'm committed to my God. And so he refused. He refused the advances of, 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 of Potiphar's wife. And, it's, and you know, he knew it wasn't wise to refuse his master's wife anything. And the other slaves are like, I can only imagine thinking, you know, hey, listen, Joe, I don't understand why you're refusing. You know, we, we know you're a young man. You have these desires, and, and your body's in your body. You want you want what she's offering you. Just go ahead and enjoy it. Enjoy her. Enjoy what she's wanting. And if you make her happy, you'll make the master happy, and they'll be good, and she can look out for you. I said, be, I would just imagine them saying, be careful. You, you you keep refusing her. She's going to hurt you because she, you know, she, she's as powerful as our master. But Joseph said, no, I will not do that. He says, I will not do this wickedness and sin against God. And Joseph understood his position and his responsibility. He had been given his responsibility by his master to take care of everything in his house. And he said, he, he kept nothing from me but you. Um, and so I can't, I can't have you as you wanted. I can't be with you because the master says no. So he understood his position and responsibility. But more than this, Joseph understood his position with God. More than his master, Joseph was accountable to God. Joseph was responsible to God, and he knew what God said. And this, to do what his master's wife wanted was sin, and he could not do it. And Joseph was committed to obeying God no matter the cost. He knew there was, there was consequences in refusing the master's wife, uh, but he was willing to do it. He was convinced that following God and obeying his word was of greater value than anything he could gain by giving in to Potiphar's wife. And David, who came many years after Joseph, wrote in Psalms 19, 7 through 11 about <clears throat> the word of God. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your ser servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Joseph knew, even before jo David wrote these words, Joseph knew that the law of the Lord, the commands of God, the, the word of God is pure, sure, and right. And he valued God's word more than gold. And he believed that there was great reward in obeying his word. Joseph knew it and believed he was committed to God's word. I think about myself, do I, do we see God's word this way as of greater value than anything in this life? And as pure, perfect, and, and uh, right. Do I, do I see it that way? Because being rooted in Christ, as I see from Joseph's life, means that we know the value of God's word and are growing in our commitment to obey his word. Now we won't do it right all the time, but we're growing. That's an indicator. We're seeing the value of it and we're growing in our desire and our, our ability to obey his word. We're growing in that. And we're growing in our commitment to obey his word. Continuing with Joseph, refusing Potiphar's wife did cost Joseph dearly. Uh, feeling scorned, she told everyone, including her husband, that Joseph attacked her. Well, what, what, what happened was that um, Joseph, as a last resort, she grabbed him in the house when he was there along with her and tried to force him to go to bed with her. And, he grabbed, and she pulled him, but he, he, he ran. He pulled away from her, and she grabbed and pulled his clothes off of him. He ran out of his, the house without his clothes. And so feeling scorned, she told everyone, including her husband, that this Hebrew slave that you brought into our home, he tried to do this to me. He tried to attack me. And I, when I screamed, he fled. 
And Potiphar punished Joseph by throwing him into prison. And I think what is recorded of Moses in Hebrews 11.26 could also be said of Joseph. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered reproach for the cause of Christ to be of greater value than giving in to what his master's wife wanted. So in chapter 39, ends with these words in the life of Joseph. It says, But the, word, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So even being a slave, God was with him. Being in prison, God is with him. So the second episode I'd like to look at in Joseph's life occurs while he's in prison. The story, and I'm just paraphrasing as I'm going through it, not reading it. Uh, I encourage you to read, like I said. But in this part of the story, two servants of the king, or Pharaoh, were in prison with Joseph. They each had a troubling dream, and God gave Joseph the interpretation of their dream. He told one of them that you will be restored to your service for Pharaoh. But the other one, he said, you will be put to death. And on Pharaoh's birthday, some, a little bit later, the dreams were fulfilled just as God had told Joseph. And Joseph asked the one who was going to be restored uh, to Pharaoh to service. He said, please bring my case before Pharaoh so he can, he can hear and say, I'm imprisoned unjustly and I can be released and I can return to my family. Please bring that to Pharaoh. But, uh, but chapter 40 ends with these words. Yet he, talking about the one who Joseph interpreted the dream for and was restored to his service, to his Pharaoh's service, it says, yet he did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. And I can imagine every day Joseph waiting for someone to call his name saying he was being released. Because Joseph wanted to be out of the prison. He was there, God was with him, but he didn't want to stay there. And every time the prison door opened, uh, I'm sure he, he was thinking, this is for me. They're coming for me. He could hear the footsteps walk down the hallway and thinking they're going to call my name any minute and I'm going to be released. But a, a few days passed and maybe he was thinking, okay, you know, I haven't heard, nobody's come for me yet, but maybe the man is being getting secure again in his position before Pharaoh and then at the right time he'll approach Pharaoh with my case and then they will come and get me. But as the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months and the months into years, Joseph was faced with the reality that this prison was his life. If he was to find commitment, peace and joy, it would have to be in this place. This was the soil that God had given Joseph, had chosen for Joseph to learn to be rooted in him. Joseph wanted things to be different, but God said, this is my plan for you. Trust me. Two years later, Pharaoh had two dreams, which no one could interpret. And the man who had been in prison with Joseph remembered Joseph and told Pharaoh about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. So here we pick up the story again in chapter 41. We read in verses 14 to 16. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
So Joseph said, tell me your dream. So Joseph, Pharaoh told Joseph his, his dream. Actually, there were two dreams. He told both of them to Joseph. And in Joseph, in chapter 25 of the same, verse 25 of the same chapter, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, and God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And then in verses 28 through 33 of that same passage, it says, it is, told, it, is, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There shall come seven years of plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And then Joseph went on to detail a plan for Pharaoh to save up food during the years of plenty so that the land could be, the people could be saved during the, land, the years of famine. It was coming, God had decided it, so if you'll do what I tell you, you will be saved from the famine. You will, your people will live and your country will live. And so it continues after Joseph told him his plan. In verses 37 through 41, it says, This proposal, Joseph's plan, pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, speaking of Joseph, in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, I don't know that Pharaoh knew God, but he saw a spirit in Joseph that was very wise, very understanding. This must be a spirit of God or a God or the God he knew. He said, can anybody, can we, do we can find a man like this? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. When Joseph went before Pharaoh, Joseph didn't know what was going to happen. He just knew he was called to meet with Pharaoh. And as far as Joseph knew, after his time with Pharaoh, he was going to be returned to prison. He didn't know any different. Just to think, Joseph woke up in prison that morning as an insignificant prisoner in a foreign land. And that night, he went to bed as the king's palace, as second in command of all of Egypt. Man, I just think his head must have been spinning. What just happened? Now, Joseph wanted to be released from prison, but he didn't try to secure his release his way. When he went before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, I hear you can interpret dreams. Joseph didn't say, well, maybe I can. Let me bring my case before you. Or say, Pharaoh, after I do this for you, can I get, bring my case to you? Will you hear my case? Will you consider me? Or we? He, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't speak about himself at all. He just said, no, God will give you what you desire. He, he, Joseph gave glory to God as the one who interprets dream. He took none of that for himself. God was in control. And then at the end, when and, and Joseph said, you need to choose a discerning and wise man. Joseph didn't put himself forward as being that man. Joseph didn't say, Sarah, you work with me, give me this opportunity, I'll make it right for you. So, uh, sorry about this, let me turn off my phone. Didn't do it before, but anyway, uh, Joseph didn't um, in any way put himself forward as being... Um, the man who could lead Egypt uh, through the famine. He just said, you need to choose someone, Pharaoh. Because Joseph entrusted himself to God, uh, not Pharaoh. God was in control of Joseph's life, not Pharaoh. As, as I said, as far as you knew, he was going to be sent back to prison. And if that's what God wanted, Joseph was content with that. God was in control, not Pharaoh. Joseph submitted himself to God and trusted 
him to sovereignly work in his life for good. Joseph entrusted himself to God and trusted God to sovereignly work in his life for good. In uh, Romans 8, 28-29, uh, we read, And we know that for, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. Being rooted in Christ means growing in our trust and in submission to him to sovereignly be working all things in our lives, whether they be pleasant or painful, together for his plan for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. What greater good could come out of our lives than we would be conformed to Christ? And then in that, we realize, like we, we like Joseph, realize we don't need to help God out in, in getting things right in our lives. We can trust God. God is the one who sovereignly works in our lives. And we can be content and trust Him in the midst of our situations, be how difficult they are. God is working. And we can trust Him in that as Joseph did. And we don't have to try to work it out on our own. God is the one working. The third episode I'd like to look at in Joseph's life actually occurs over the rest of his life but comes to a head just before the end of the book. When Joseph was made second in command of Egypt, he surely had a list of people who had done him wrong. And at least, at least three of those people were, in, were still in Egypt, as far as we can tell. We don't know, but I would assume they were. Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, and Pharaoh's servant, who forgot him in prison. And Joseph at this time was definitely in a position to repay each of them for their mistreatment of him. And I can just imagine Potiphar's wife looking out the window of her house as she heard a procession coming through town and she saw Pharaoh's chariot, chariot and Joseph was in the chariot as they were shouting out, uh, look at who's now second in command. This is how they got word out through the kingdom. This is the one second in command. Uh, obey him, uh, bow to him. And so she's looking and uh, is, is, is looking out the window to see what's all the commotion. And she strains to get a closer look, and she thinks the man in that chariot looks somehow familiar. And then it hits her. It hits her hard. She recognizes Joseph. Now, I don't know this happened, but I can just imagine it happened. It's just, you know, just thinking what was going through her mind. And when she sees and she realizes Joseph, she almost faints. And gathering her composure, the first thing she thinks about is, what's the fastest way out of town? Because she's sure the soldiers are already on their way to her house to take her away because of what she remembers that she did to Joseph. And as the famine worsens, I mean, but we don't read any part where Joseph takes any action against those who were against him. He takes nothing, takes no effort to get revenge. And so he, he doesn't do it. But as the famine worsens and reaches Joseph's families uh, where they were, the ones... These, Joseph's brothers uh, had to come before Joseph. And they were the ones that definitely were at the top of the list. They were the ones who started all these miseries in Joseph's life. And so uh, the ones at the top of Joseph's blacklist, his brothers had to come to Joseph to find food. And when they come before him and, uh, and reach him, Joseph recognizes them when he sees them. But they have no idea who Joseph is. And so they bow before him. And then Joseph remembers all the dreams he had years before. 
And his brothers have no idea who it is speaking to them. And, and I don't think in their wildest dreams would they have imagined Joseph in his position in Egypt. He may have still been in Egypt, but he was a slave somewhere. And they would never meet him. But they were going to meet with this man who had the power to give them food or not. And Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them right away. He puts them through a series of tests to see if they've changed in their relationships with one another. Is their family or dynamics? Have it changed? He wanted to see their hearts, if they have changed. And when he's satisfied, through, if they went through the tests, and he's satisfied that surely they've changed. Their hearts have changed toward another. And they have uh, some remorse over what they did to him as they shared his story of what they did to one of their brothers. Uh, he tells them who he is. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. And to say that they are speechless would be an understatement. They are scared. We used to say they are scared spitless. They, they're so scared they couldn't stand up. They were shaking. Uh, and he asks about their father and then welcomes them to come to Egypt. He says, come, this famine's going to go on. and Come to Egypt, live with me. I'll give you the best. I'll provide for you. He said, come so I can provide for you. And, and so they move their families to Egypt and Joseph gives them the best of the land. But even in all this, and they're doing well, they're prospering, and they're doing well, the brothers are still not convinced that Joseph is for real. They think he's just being good to them for the sake of their father. They believe when their father dies, they believe that they'll really see Joseph's true colors, and they'll see Joseph's vengeance on them. They think he's just playing with them right now until he gets the right time, and their father is no longer with them, then he can treat them as he really wants to do. They know they deserve it. They know they deserve whatever he would give to them. Uh, and so this is where we pick up the story. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, uh, Your father gave us this command before he died. Uh, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of the God of your father. He says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, please, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to him, do not fear, for I am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted and spoke kindly to them. And this, we see, I believe Joseph's brothers made up this story. I don't believe Joseph's father told them this. But they made it up because they said, we got to do something. We got to protect ourselves. And we got we to use our father as the one who says, please be. And they, 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 they felt like Joseph would listen to their father if not to them. So they made up the story about him telling them and, and, and doing it. When Joseph heard it, I think he wept because he's like, you don't understand. You don't understand that, you know, God spoke to me, not my father on earth. God, my, my heavenly father spoke to me. And, I, you know, I won't treat you well. It's like they could not, he didn't believe that his love was for real for them. And after all that Joseph provided for them, they still couldn't believe that he wasn't bitter and vengeful. But Joseph knew that God is the only righteous judge. He knew that he was the only, only God is a sovereign judge and only he can repay. 
And Joseph knew his life was a testament to God's grace. And God expected him to extend the grace he had received to others. In Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, we read, as Paul is speaking to us, the children of God now, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the country, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Being rooted in Christ means learning to trust God with, the pain, with our pains of injustice and wrongs and not seeking to extract, exact vengeance on those who've mistreated us. It means growing in our understanding of the grace we have received and trusting Christ to extend his, this grace through us to others. As Joseph was able to do to his, his family, knowing that people mean to mistreat us, they mean to hurt us, but God can use all this for our good and for good of others. And so we're not the one to, to judge and to, 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 to seek justice in others that way, to, to be vengeful. We need to give that to God. God is the one who will do it. I'm reading a book at the moment with Pastor Jay and, and Rodney entitled Church in Hard Places. And one of the authors, Mez McConnell, tells his story of how he grew in grace uh, in this area. And I'd like to read that to you as part of my message. He writes, As a young man, I grew up in countless care homes and foster families in abusive circumstances. Things happened to me, and I did things that left me guilty, ashamed, and confused as a boy, and then as a young man. And frankly, I wanted revenge. I found that even early in my Christian life, I was praying for many people responsible for my suffering to burn in hell. Obviously, I had not really understood grace at that point. I had not really understand, understood the atonement, that this newly found peace I had with God came at the cost of his own son. But over time, God opened my eyes to see that his supreme sacrifice meant that all of my sins had been dealt with, and they were no longer the defining reality in my life. I was not allowed to wallow in them anymore. That supreme act of forgiveness began to percolate into the way that I prayed for my family members, old acquaintances, and foster parents. As the Spirit worked in my life, prayers for their damnation were replaced with tearful prayers for their salvation. Christ's great sacrifice so overwhelmed my soul with love that I was unable to keep up that barrage of hatred. His love conquered my hate and freed me from the cycle that had been the cause of my self-destruction for so long. Being confronted with the almost incomprehensible beauty of Jesus' sacrifice forces us to review our place in the world, step away from self-pity, find freedom in His love, and through His Spirit find forgiveness and love even for those who have seriously damaged us. You know, the story of Joseph is often compared to Jesus, and there are many similarities. Joseph, a shepherd, was dearly loved by his father. Jesus, the good shepherd, was dearly loved by his father. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and traded for silver. Jesus was betrayed by Judas and traded for silver. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, but did not sin. Jesus was tempted by Satan, but did not sin. 
Joseph was thrown into prison with two other prisoners who, who, who one would go free and the other would be executed. Jesus, Jesus was crucified on the cross with two criminals, one who would be saved and one who would not. Joseph, though imprisoned, rose to a place of power and authority. Jesus, though crucified on the cross, rose again and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And Joseph showed mercy and forgave his betrayers, saving his family and the nation. And Jesus shows mercy and forgives his betrayers, saving the world. The story of Joseph is not about us. It's about Jesus and what he has done for us. In the same way that Joseph foreshadows Jesus, so Joseph's brothers foreshadow us. We have betrayed and denied Christ, and yet he has shown us mercy and forgiveness. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. We wait for him. We wait for his return. We have betrayed him, and he will forgive us. We are famished, and he will sustain us. Unlike Joseph's brothers, we will recognize our Savior at his second coming. We will know his face, and we will bow before him. We wait with hope for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. As we grow in our rootedness in Christ, as we have Joseph as our example, and we have the living Word of God, Jesus, living within us through His Spirit. His Spirit empowers us to obey Him, to trust and submit to Him, and to forgive others as we have been forgiven. May we learn from the life of Joseph what it means to be rooted in Christ and built up in Him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You. Thank You for this message of Joseph's life. And and how that we can learn from it and even know more you are the better Joseph. You as our Savior are the better Joseph. You show us a better way. You give us uh, grace. You give us your spirit to enable us to obey you, knowing that there's a great reward in obeying your word. And you give us your spirit and your power to submit to you and bow before you uh, and what you're doing in our lives and submit and, and, and accept what you're doing that you're uh, forming us into Christ. And then... Um, we give thanks to you that you give us the power to forgive those who have sinned against us as we have been forgiven in you. And that's all because of you. And for that we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.